Bookwas Crew Doc, by Jerry Matthews. The Encounter, Kathy. Kathy dried her hands with a dish towel, then draping it over the handle of the oven door, she turned and walked out onto the cabin's back deck, and took a seat in one of the nearby deck chairs. She found the darkness out there to be all-inclusive, except for the lone rectangle of light coming out through the kitchen doorway, illuminating the deck's three steps and a small section of the lawn beyond. The nighttime breeze came to her cooling the cabin and pleasing her senses with the flowing perfume, of the forest floor. Looking up, she marveled at the layer of stars which were visible in the Fraser Valley night sky. All around, the silence of Ruby Creek's woodland pressed heavily against her ears. Out beyond the deck, the property heavily wooded and steep, rose upward, into the darkness. The only break in that ascending thick growth of firs was a power line which skirted the property following the high ridge above. At the front of the cabin a dirt road passed by, which allowed entry to the property from Highway 7 and then continued to a barred red gate, which denied access from the west. Beyond the gate, electrical towers marched single file, down from the steep hills carrying their voltage across a patchwork of old clear cuts. Finally, Ascending a long heavily treed slope, they continued into the valley beyond, which was called Garnet Creek. At one time you could follow Garnet Creek Forestry Road all the way from Highway 7 to the shores of Harrison Lake, but now that the road was decommissioned and the bridges torn out, on the east side of the cabin were several acres of orchard, containing blueberry bushes and plum trees. Her husband, Keith had spent many a summer day pruning and caring for the trees and their yield. But Keith was gone now, she had seen him buried just two years before, heart failure, he had not yet seen his 60th birthday, leaving her a widow, on her own, at 50. She and Keith had purchased the property back in the 90s and they had enjoyed spending summer weekends there for over 20 years, they had loved the privacy and the beauty of the land, the previous owners had built an orchard, that yearly attracted all kinds of wildlife. In late summer it kept her and Keith busy protecting the fruit from their encroachments. But since Keith's passing two summers ago, she had the help of a young indigenous girl whose name was Wendy Paul. She was a Skewlitz band member who lived over in Harrison Bay. Wendy would be arriving at the cabin in the morning, bright and early, riding on her old quad. The orchard was currently well maintained by the two, but thinking back now, Kathy remembered that theirs was a sad meeting and Wendy's story was a tragic one. They were an indigenous family, a husband, wife and young girl. The mother had worked for Brian and Kathy, at their business venture, the Burns Inn, over in Agassiz, and had been brutally murdered just a few miles away from where Kathy now sat, in the nearby hills. Her body had been found near the red gate at the edge of Kathy's property. She had been brutally ravaged virtually unidentifiable, the authorities said that she had been badly mauled by a bear. It was well known that every now and again grizzlies came down from the alpine meadows in the east, to stalk the valley floor. So, it was not an unlikely assumption. Kathy noted a sudden furtive movement at the edge of the rectangle of light that was being cast out onto the lawn. She sat up in her chair when she heard an all-too-familiar scratching sound beneath the wooden steps leading down to the grass. Rising from her seat, she went into the cabin. There were sounds of cupboard doors being opened and closed. Soon she reappeared, with a small box in her hands. 
Taking two crackers from the box she gently dropped one on the top step and another at the edge of the deck and then returned to her seat in expectation. A small black paw soon appeared, reaching up from the darkness, and with splayed fingers it searched the step until it came in contact with the cracker that had been placed there. In a quick movement the prize was snatched up and pulled into the shadows under the deck. A moment later the paw reappeared, searching the deck using a padding motion in a left-to-right sweep. Eventually, the paw was withdrawn, and a moment later a black and gray face appeared in its state, at the top of the steps. Hello Roxanne. Kathy smiled, tilting her watch to the light from the doorway. 10 p.m., right on time. She had met Roxanne on her third night at the cabin when the raccoon first made an appearance. Since that night, Kathy would leave a cracker, or two, at the top of the steps. The last cracker was purposely placed a distance from the edge of the deck in order to drag her visitor out into the light so it would be visible, as it retrieved the treat. Originally, she had named the raccoon Rocky as in Rocky Raccoon, from the Beatles' White Album, but on the fourth night the raccoon was joined in her daily quest for food by two smaller faces on the back steps, so, a name change was necessary. Out in the darkness her small charges were awaiting Roxanne's return. Their hiding place was revealed to be under Kathy's truck, according to the glow of their eye shine, close to the ground and linear like a squadron awaiting instructions from their drill sergeant mom. You taking good care of those babies, mama? The raccoon sat on the top step with its front paws on the deck, as she quietly took in the area. She was intent on the nearby cracker but constantly aware of Kathy's location. Moving quickly, the furry intruder grabbed the treat placed in into her mouth and made her way back down the steps, in an unhurried and regal wobble. Kathy watched as the night hunter stepped into the darkness with that particular waddling gait so representative of the species. She smiled as she looked beneath her truck bed at, first, one pair of reflecting eyes disappearing, and then a second. They were such amazing creatures in their own way, so flexible, intelligent and vicious, as well. She discovered the latter, a week before, on day seven of her stay, when one evening, around midnight, she was wakened by a hissing growl from beneath the bedroom floor. This was followed by a high-pitched scream tie was full of warning and threat. Jumping out of bed, she put on a jacket and grabbed the flashlight which she kept on her nightstand. On her way to the front door, she grabbed her husband's pump shotgun from the closet. Taking some shells from a box on the shelf she slid them into the magazine tube of the gun. She recalled Keith once telling her, First, if you're going to use a shotgun for self-defense, then you should leave the shell chamber empty. That way you won't accidentally blast the clock off our mantelpiece, should you step on the cat in the dark. And secondly, when the moment comes to confront someone or something, you will already have one advantage going for you. And that is the simple fact that there is nothing more terrifying to hear, in a silent, dark room, than a shotgun shell being ratcheted into a chamber. To Kathy's way of thinking, that was good advice. Out the front door and down the steps she went, holding the gun stock tightly by her side, with the foregrip resting on the arm whose hand held the flashlight. The atmosphere beneath the cabin was one of low throaty growls and hisses, shining her light through the upright supports. Kathy could see Roxanne and her two small charges, first standing on end and fangs quite visible, facing down a large male raccoon. 
Roxanne was steadily keeping herself between the male and her kittens. Kathy laid the flashlight down as she kept a watch on the larger raccoon and pumped a shell into her gun's chamber. To her relief, this sudden noise was enough to break up the standoff and send the male on his way. She watched for a few moments as it ambled off into the forest, just a flickering shadow among many others under the July moon. Kathy knew enough to know that those kittens were going to be in constant danger, with that male around, but right now, they could use some peace and quiet. Going back inside she carefully pumped the shells from the magazine ejecting them onto the kitchen table, then she returned them and the gun, to the closet. Up until tonight, the male had not been seen again and Kathy was glad to note the two cubs were still a safe. Eventually mama and baby raccoons, moved on, leaving, Kathy too, once again. Enjoy the view the stars above from the back deck of the cabin and allowed herself to sink into a feeling of insignificance, just like millions of others have done when they took in the vast expanses of a night sky. From this cabin, by the foot of the coastal mountains, at the mouth of the Fraser Canyon, the lights of Agassiz were a faint glow against the western sky and just beyond that lay her home in Harrison Hot Springs. A village which took up a chunk of shoreline on the southern tip of Harrison Lake. At 55 miles long, it was the biggest lake in the Fraser Valley. Harrison Hot Springs, named after the lake and its springs, was a resort town. It had been named after Benjamin Harrison of the Hudson Bay Company. The irony was that there was no evidence that Benjamin Harris had ever been to Harrison Hot Springs, was not lost upon her. But the big draw was definitely the lake. What a beauty. She and Keith had moved there almost 40 years gone by. They had lots of outdoor adventures around that lake. In the days gone by the north end of the lake was a trailhead to riches in the Gold Rush country in the 1800s. Now it is just loggers, Indians, campers and tourists. But there were big times back then. Big adventures for a 20-something gal from Ontario. Newly married and newly in love with British Columbia. That was the 80s. Probably the greatest decade ever for a young, or young at heart person, the movies, the music, fashion and freedom to be yourself, or for that matter, someone else. Keith had been talked into getting a forestry course by her father, a lifetime ranger in Ontario. He had passed the course, but could not get work in Ontario. However, with ample opportunity for a young forestry professional, the forests of BC beckoned. With the passing of a month they were on the road with Keith's truck the very same one that was now parked by the cabin, pulling a U-Haul trailer. Jake the dog was secured firmly in the back of the extended cab and Prism was singing on the radio, when they crested Roger's pass. Life had never been so full of promise and opportunities. Now she was fifty years old and widowed. Her remnants of bygone days was interrupted by a foul odor delivered on the breeze making her wrinkle her nose in disgust. A potent smell like skunk cabbage permeated the air on the deck. Then, as quickly as it had come, it dissipated allowing the fresh scent of the forest to return. Even so, the night air had taken on a distinct chill, and the lateness of the hour was not been lost upon her. Entering the cabin, she closed the door firmly behind her. Down the hallway behind first door on the left, her queen-sized bed was calling. With a good night's sleep utmost on her mind she changed for bed and discarded her shorts, t-shirt and, blessedly, her bra. 
the little pile of clothing finding a home on a chair in the corner. Sleep came that night in fits and starts, but with the passing of time she finally sank beneath the surface to a secure warm place where conscious thought disappeared a place where familiar faces may come into view, playing roles that were alien to your memory of them. In places that you had not visited physically for many years gone by, Keith made no appearance in the shadowy landscape where she now trod, but she did not doubt that he would on some other night. It was something which she yearned for, and dreaded. Swish. In front of her was the cafeteria at the trailer plant where she worked back in 2002. Long tables with a lot of ongoing chatter, as shift workers passed through. Billy Prescott the head lineman sat across from her bragging about his weekend ATV riding. The object of his attention was Susan Farrell who was sitting next to him, only half listening. At the next table sat Mary Rogers making eyes at Bill Kinnear. He was a definite hot piece of real estate, but totally married. Give up Mary. Swish. Here comes and Lieberman. She is coming to our table. Lucky us. Her head is empty, but her bra cup was overflowing. Enough so to make up the difference for a lot of the guys. Hi Anne. Hi Kathy. Mind if I sit with you fellas? I moved my chair to make room for her and in looking down saw that I was totally naked. It was strange how no one noticed. I quickly took stock of the situation. I had nothing with which to cover myself. And to get up and leave the room would mean walking naked between the tables filled with most of the day shift workers. Nobody seemed to notice my rising panic as I covered my breasts with one arm while the other was still halfway to my mouth holding a spoonful of soup. And Lieberman was laughing at something which Susan had said when Billy Prescott reached across the table and brought down a rolled-up magazine on a wayward fly. Thump. The lunchroom disappeared and she and she found herself in darkness. The lead on the bedside clock told her that she was in her room, at the cabin, and it was just after midnight. She felt relief and confusion. The kind of dream that she had was a common enough theme. It was her subconscious telling her the obvious. That she was feeling vulnerable and exposed. And who would not be with such a recent loss in her life? At least it was recent to Kathy. She could see the pale light of the moon on the other side of the curtain. The filtered light cast the bedroom in silvery shadows, as if a TV set had been left turned on. Swish. What was that? like something brushed against the side of the cabin. She held her breath and listened. Nothing. It was not a raccoon under the floor. This sound had come from high on the cabin's outer wall. A bear maybe, only if it stood on its hind legs. The question ran through her head. Also, why would a bear be rubbing against the cabin? Was it using the side of the structure for a back scratcher? Swish. The sound was now directly beneath the window. She strained her senses toward that area of the room. Her sight and hearing, all came to bear on the wall beneath the window. Silence. She found herself to be sliding down ever so timidly beneath the covers. Goosebumps rose on her arms as she folded them across her bare breasts. With just her eyes exposed she watched the curtained window for a time. Reminding herself to breath became a priority. Outside of the cabin, from somewhere in the darkness she heard a voice. The voice was too low for her to understand what it was saying. It was like it was talking to itself, or to another, in subtle tones. There was a grunt. It sounded like someone who had been punched in the stomach. Or was it a sound of surprise? 
If that was a person out there, then the situation had taken a serious turn. For the first time she was afraid for her personal safety, she was alone, miles from the nearest civilization with a stranger possibly looking for an entry point to break into the cabin. The seriousness of the situation suddenly occurred to her. Here she was in the back bedroom of a darkened cabin virtually naked, while there was one, or more individuals outside trying to break in. She thought about the shotgun in the hall closet. Could she load it in the dark? And even if she could, would she be able to use it? The thought of shooting another human being sent icy shivers through her. Time was wasting. She knew that she had to get out of bed and run down the hall to get the gun. Thump. A picture rattled against the wall as something heavy hit the outside of the cabin. This was the same noise that had awoken her from her dream. How long had this person been out there? Now, she truly felt helpless and wondered if the person knew that the cabin was occupied. Of course, he did. She admonished herself. Your truck is parked on the side of the cabin, you idiot. The intruder could be heard moving toward the front of the house. Soon it would be at the front doorstep and front door, where it could try gain entry. She had to go. And go now. She could not allow whoever it was to get inside. Taking a deep breath, she flung aside the covers and jumped out of the bed. The coolness of the cabin caused goosebumps to appear on her legs and arms. She took a deep penetrating breath and launched herself toward the bedroom door. Thump. The noise was loud and once again was directly under the window. It had caught her by surprise. The air rushed out of her lungs as she cried out, frozen in place, halfway to the bedroom. Her mind took in the rattle of the pictures on the bedroom wall. She heard a voice talking outside under the window. She could not make out the words, but it was low and continuous, rising in tone and pitch, almost angry. She strained but could not make out what is was saying or even what language it might have been. The gun. She had to get the gun. She braced her legs for the dash to the hall, but instead fell to the floor in shock as the light from the curtained bedroom window was blocked by something outside. In the total darkness she had pulled her legs up against her abdomen, knees against her breasts, she formed a fetal position, the breathing. Outside of the window she could hear long steady breaths, she knew that whoever was out there was trying to see into the room. She could visualize puffs of steam spreading against the glass, as hot breath mixed with chilly night air. Then came the scream. The panes of glass seemed to rattle and shake, under a vibration that then cut a passage through the air, reaching the spot, where she lay on the floor. A humming sensation passed through her upper body, moving through her rib cage and on into her lungs. The sound seemed to enter the room bouncing off the walls, as though the room were an echo chamber, and she could feel the same effect within her chest. There was a physical presence inside of her body was she having a heart attack? Sitting up, she backpedaled across the floor, away from the window and the terrible threat which lay on the other side. The vocalization suddenly stopped. Tension eased in her body and she was able to breath comfortably again. The darkened form moved away from the window and the faint pale light of the moon once more appeared against the curtains. Whistling? She heard whistling. This was followed by more of the previous utterances, which, still, made no sense to her. It reminded her of the Negan character on the Walking Dead TV show, eerily whistling as he dominated the people who made up the saviors. But that menace outside was not Negan. And this was no TV show. 
she could feel tears welling up as whatever was outside spoke in a jabbering dialect, but then, softly whistling, it appeared to move away from the cabin. Now there was just a thudding noise, the sound a tamper makes when you use it after putting down fresh topsoil, in order to compress it. The tears wanted to come, but she used her own mental tamper to push down and quell the urge. What was happening? What just did happen? Is it still going to happen? She rose up on one knee, listening, straining for the slightest sound. Nothing. She walked to the nightstand by the bed and took a flashlight from the drawer. Then, ever so gingerly she walked to the bedroom door. The hall was dark, and she wanted it to stay that way for now. She felt her way to the closet door and extending her hand, the one which did not hold the flashlight, and turned the knob. The door opened with a slight creak, causing her to freeze. A moment later she took a single step into the little enclosure. Turning on the flashlight, she felt an immediate apprehension. She felt exposed to something that could see her but, she could not see it. The pump gun lay in the corner. Several boxes of shells were neatly stacked on the closet shelf. She reached for a box of buckshot but changed her mind. Reaching for the box of slugs made her feel better protected. She placed five slug shells into the mount on the side of the gun. Then, she reached for another box and slid four shells into the tube magazine. She remembered what her husband had told her about leaving the chamber empty. Screw that, she whispered, pumping a shell into the chamber. Then for good measure, she topped of the magazine with another shell. She slowly made her way back to the bedroom where she got dressed in the dark and then with gun in hand headed for the kitchen.